I think there's a, I think the key thing is that you have to be able to, uh, you have to be able to generate like a trusting relationship. I think the trust is super important. I think you have to be credible and you have to add value. Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Splendori, and this week my guest is Paul McManus. Paul is the CEO of Extensus, a company that provides a number of services, including executive coaching and mentoring. I spoke to Paul about his career and his personal experience and how he got to arrive at coaching. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way independent podcasts like this have a chance to survive. The title tune is Pressure by Nevada. Yeah, great to see you. Glad you got in touch. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, the, the world of social media. I love when things like that happen, as opposed to all the crap that comes with it. There is. I, I noticed in the last couple of days, just the amount of people that are trying to generate connection. You know what I mean? More so than ever before. Well, people were quite standoffish. I used to find sometimes on LinkedIn, but now people are a little bit more open and, yeah. and open to building out their network and helping other people to build out their network. It's nice to see. And I think it's badly needed. That's great, yeah, and that's it, and that's all I've been doing. Um, aside from my normal job, that's all I've been doing. I've been trying to create connections and create a community around things that I do. So, you know, there's there's yep, enough yep. room for everybody to do something, you know, and that's the way I for sure, do. yeah. So yeah. anyway, that's that's great. Uh, we get cracking because I'm sure you have other stuff to do. So we'll have a charge. I don't know how long it takes. Whatever it takes. Okay, perfect. Yeah, do you pronounce your company Extensos? Extensos, yeah. So a, a lot of people used to ask me about the sort of where did you get the name for it? And, and it's like, you know, loads of people would say, we do an outsourcing service, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But people kind of was asking, is it because you're an extension of our team or something like that? But actually, it's not that clever. So what I had in my head when I set up the company was I had this kind of concept of if I could produce 10 services and sell them to 10 clients, then I have a really sustainable business. And so actually the name Extensos is just by 10 service oriented solutions. <laughs> Very good. Okay, excellent. Anyway, I'm chatting to Paul McManus uh, and just as a caveat, Paul and I worked together, I don't know, way too long ago. I think it was 20, nearly 30 years ago. I don't know, it was a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I was in the corporate world, I got spat out, Paul stayed in and uh, and now he runs a company called Extensus. But just give us a very uh, quick uh, background, Paul, how you got to, to, to run your own company. Okay. So um, my kind of journey was, was kind of interesting. So I, I started my first ever job, actually, when I was like 14, was selling fruit and vegetables on a stall. Um, and I used to work sort of part-time. It wasn't like a store that we owned or anything. It was just like I got a part-time job. So I kind of I started working quite early. Um, and then when I came out of, um, when I went, I guess the first real job I had was I worked in a company uh, called Keytronic, which was a manufacturing company. And I eventually became the quality manager there. So I kind of worked through different levels and kind of had studied quality management and became the quality manager there. So my world was quite structured, quite process oriented, you know, all automated, very, very straightforward. And so then um, around 1990 six um the, the company decided to close and so it was kind of one of those things where okay now i've got to make a decision and so i'd been following the translation industry um only just because at that stage as you know uh, from being in there as well and uh, the, the, the the scene in ireland was quite big for translation it was quite an exciting place 
it was all international, which was new to Irish people, which, you know, we never really got involved in that before. Um, and so kind of as an extension of manufacturing, obviously, translation was growing. And so I decided I'd try out and see if I could get a job in a translation company, not really with any knowledge of translation. I mean, my, my knowledge of French is poor. My knowledge of Irish is poor. And so I kind of wanted to see if I could maybe find a way to get into the translation industry. And so I ended up talking to uh, a guy called Tom Grogan, who was looking for a quality manager. And because my background was quality management, I was able to make the transition. Um, my plan was to spend a year in the translation industry. And I'm going to say it was probably 25 years later when I made the decision to set up my own company. And so um, a couple of things happened. So I was in ITP. Obviously, you and I worked together a long time ago. Um, that company got acquired by SDL, which was a big uh, Maidenhead-based uh, translation provider, much, much bigger than us. Um, and I stayed with them for, I think, probably about 11 or 12 years. Um, and I had loads of different roles. So I ended up jet-setting all over the world. I was traveling everywhere you could mention. Um, I ran kind of Canada for them as a region. I ran, obviously, the Irish business, which used to be ITP. Um, and then I also took over a kind of a, a shared services unit, which was all around sort of training, uh, people development, uh, supply chain development, all of those things that kind of didn't really fit into a business unit. And so that got me interested in, you know, we need to figure out how we train people. We need to figure out how we develop our people. Because one of the things about SDL that made it interesting was it was had a, it had an in-house supply chain. And so instead of having like 200 people to manage, we had like 3,000. And so when you've got 3,000 people all over the world, you've got to get pretty active about managing people or you're going to have a lot of attrition. And so that was really where I got the interest in people management, people development, coaching. And, and during my time in SDL, I went off and got qualified as an executive coach, um, not because I had a huge passion for coaching. I'll be honest. What I did was I, I built a management development program and, and executed that kind of all over the world. I, I think I've trained like thousands of people in, in kind of every country you can imagine um, because of SDL's um, footprint in, in the organization. But I got interested in coaching more as a way to develop a leadership development program because one thing I felt in that industry, we kind of all got parachuted into it from different paths. People arrived in from all over the place, but managing people and then managing yourself and developing as a person, it wasn't well thought out. There was very little HR. There was very little. In fact, it was chaos. As, as you remember, when, when we worked together, it was fairly chaotic. And so it did get more structured, but it still was a, there was a massive people challenge. And that's what interested me. Um, I saw it when we were in ITP. I saw it in SDL. I left SDL and went on to work in We Localized for a while. I was the chief services officer there. And so, again, I kind of got to see the people challenge. The challenge more there was kind of interesting because I was kind of a C-level executive working with private equity investors and working with you know, all the challenges that come with being in the shop window as a leader in a company like that. And I, I could see the challenge that we all, all of us on that leadership team faced. So those things kind of all came together and got me really interested in the topic. And then I eventually set up my own company and started trading in 2017. Um, and so just really quickly, what Extensos does is we do really three things. We do learning and development. So we have a whole suite of training uh, programs that we deliver, all stuff that we developed ourselves. 
Um, we have a whole um, service offering around business advisory and consulting. So I, we do a lot of, I do a fair bit of sort of non-exec work with companies and, and just advising. And, and that's where our coaching and mentoring practice comes in. And then we have a what we call a multilingual business support um, team, which is we have an office in Cluj-Napoca in Romania. Um, and what we do there is we provide multilingual sort of outsource solutions for companies who want to scale, grow, but without actually hiring people. So that's kind of the long or short version of how I got to where I am now, I guess. That's brilliant. And then when you get in touch with me uh, on LinkedIn there, because as you know, I'm getting into this world of coaching now and, uh, and it's something that really interests me, but I'm also um, aware that there's so many different strands of coaching and uh, how people yep. understand it, how they do it. And that's the reason for this podcast is really get to know the people that are involved in the coaching. But the one thing that really interested me when you said to me, it was very much the thing that, yeah, the human capital, as you call it on your website, you know, the human capital within each company, and a lot of the times, is is kind of lost. You know, the idea of keeping that capital, and and that was actually what got me, you know, what got me fired at the time of the, from the company that I believe in the capital. I didn't have the words to put it to put it to the yep. CEO that there was a capital there. Anyway, that that was the end of me. But tell me about how you do that within organizations how you unlocked as you call it the unlock the potential of the human capital what's so, what what there were a couple of things so things that i noticed kind of as i was coming through you know the same as you coming through the industry at quite an early stage and, and trying to figure it all out the thing that i noticed was there was kind of two things that just struck me with regards to people one was people with big personalities rose in the company and you know I, that always troubled me a little bit because you know, if you if you look through history, a lot of the, the the most dangerous people are the people who sound good but actually don't do much. And so, you know, I think for me, I was kind of I always got a little bit interested in that topic. And actually, when I started studying coaching, um, one of the the ladies that that was working with me as a coach for me uh, recommended that I read the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, and. The book itself, I, I, I use it a lot and I think it's brilliant, but actually what I loved was the introduction to that. So there's an intro piece which talks about the difference between personality and competence. And that I found actually just captured exactly what I was trying to figure out. And so what I really wanted to do was balance personality with competence. And so all of my work kind of in SDL through Relocalize and even through Extensos now is all about understanding and measuring personality. And so we use a particular tool for doing that. Um, and I, I went off and became a certified practitioner in, in disk profiling. Um, so understanding that so that we can manage it, but also balancing it up with competence frameworks. And so I've done a lot of work around performance management for companies, building competence frameworks that kind of reflect the company's brand. And so to kind of give you an example, I, you know, I worked in a company one time where we had four core values and and the core values you know one of them at the time was teamwork so we have a value in our brand called teamwork but actually how do we actually make sure that that happens if we don't drive teamwork through our teams through our people and actually hire people and develop people with a mindset to encourage teamwork because if you don't do it your brand is fake and so, you know, that was a big thing for me was how do you actually take that concept, which is very easy for a CEO to say, hey, we do teamwork, but take it down to a level where actually it's real for the guy who's sitting managing a project or for the engineer who's sitting in front of, a, you know, a laptop all day. They have to kind of get it 
clear in their minds and they also have to be managed and developed and coached to become better team players uh, if you're going to make that brand value a reality. And so that was kind of, that got me interested in the whole area. So I do a lot of work now between performance management, personality, measurement and management and using coaching to kind of uh, help with, with sort of any areas or deficiencies there. And then with an overall goal of helping people to kind of really just be the best version of themselves given other circumstances. So, you know, not everybody can aspire to be enlightened or whatever. Some people have restraints and they just need to help move on because they're taking on a new role or they're taking on a new team or they're getting involved in a company that's really struggling and they have a bigger business ambition. So, you know, my flavor of coaching is, is probably a mixture of coaching mentoring advising but the the main thing that that we do which i think is different from a lot of coaches is we do it very much on a business to business basis Mm -hmm. so we work with an overall business problem that needs to be solved and the coaching then becomes a key ingredient of solving that problem through the people that are in that company if that makes sense yeah yeah it does and that's what interests me the the when i'm looking through the the different aspects of coaching out there and the difference between now say Ireland and the States where it's a little bit more mature the old coaching world is a bit more mature I'm really curious about how you find in I mean the, the, the clients you have I'm mean, here how how open are there like Irish companies you deal with I'm sure you deal with different companies from all over the world but within the Irish context how how well are they open to the idea of coaching and I know your system is a little bit different because you, you're looking at it they call it the helicopter view you're looking at everything and say okay that's yeah. what you need to do part of this is coaching and there's a charge yeah. for that how is that thing? yeah and, and so it, it, no, it's, it, it's a good point so w- what we kind of do is we're we're lucky uh, when a client comes to us there's a problem you know I, if i go back to again when i was kind of training to be a coach one of the things that used to drive me nuts was, you know, you get into your little group. I'm sure you did this on your program. You get into your groups and you're kind of coaching and whatever each other. And what used to drive me nuts was when somebody would say, okay, what do you want to work on today? And I'm, I'm just going, I'm not really sure I want to work on anything. I'm not sure. So I, I'm kind of just trying to figure this out. And so it, it's that awkward space that kind of you get into when you're starting. Um, what I found was by working business to business, the problem is clear. It's a very defined problem. So it may be we're helping a company because there's a succession plan needed for leadership, or it may be that the business is in trouble and it needs a turnaround. It may be that there's a whole set of leaders now coming into new roles and they all need to be got up to to speed quite quickly. And so coaching is a piece of what we do, but it's, it's blended very much with mentoring. And I, and I think part of the reason we do that is because it's a faster process. And it's usually because we're against the clock of delivering business Mm -hmm. results. Um, but we do also try to make sure that we never lose the the ethics behind coaching. The coaching has got to be helping the person to to reach their own conclusions and get to where they need to get to. So it's not us leading. It's us just enabling people to figure it out for themselves, but against the understanding that there is that business pressure. And, and really the reason I got into coaching, I had no great desire to, to do life coaching or, or help people there are lots of people who are far better qualified than me to do that and lots of people who are far more appropriate than me to do that. Um, but I did find that in business particularly, because I'd kind of gone through the same experiences, you know, the stuff that you and I would have shared, things that, you know, even after that, 
I kind of understand it as well, and I've been there, and I and I can add a lot of value, and I, our, our team can add a lot of value because we only work with people that have kind of got that shared experience. So we're not sort of pure HR coaches, um, and 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 that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's that's a very valuable piece in a company, but it's it's not the piece that we felt we would add value in. So we tend to go with more sort of experiential based coaching. We've been there, we've done it, we've lived it, we understand it. And so you can leverage not just our ability to coach or mentor, but also some of our experience. And that's that blend, I think, works quite well for us. Hmm. Because then another aspect of what you do is the executive coaching. And, and again, I was reading through your website and, uh, and, uh, and I, I'd heard that before, the, the loneliness of, an, of a, of a yep. chief, chief executive or chief operating officer sitting at the top of the pile and all of a sudden realize is he or she is on her own. What, what what did you find? Like, what, what, tell me about that executive coaching. How how it works out for you? So I I when I came up with the idea, this is a kind of a funny story. When I came up with the idea of Extensos, I was actually sitting on a bar on the top of a hotel in Tokyo at like two a.m. on my own, and you know that was just kind of typical of what what sort of what I was doing. I was all over the place, flying out everywhere, doing stuff, whatever. Then you arrive into a hotel, you grab something to eat, you grab it, whatever. And I'm just sitting looking out and I'm just kind of pondering the world, looking out over the view of Tokyo, which was awesome. Um, and it, the thought kind of struck me, actually, you know, you can't keep doing this. This is like, you have to kind of pace yourself for your career for this. Um, I was quite young when I got propelled into all of this, which was great. Um, but you kind of have to plan for the long term. And so what I found with people and when they get into roles, uh, more senior roles particularly, and you get up to sort of real leadership levels, C levels, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of agendas, there's a lot of behavioral issues that, that come into play. And actually, it's a very difficult environment for people. Um, and, and depending on the company culture, it can be really, really, really hard to survive in that, in that environment without some sort of help and guidance and preparation. And you know, I definitely felt um, when I was in that role, you're, you're, you're carrying a lot of responsibility, probably more than you ever intended. Um, and, and you really have to get things right because people's jobs depend on it, customers depend on it, just a big lot of responsibility. So I found it is a, it is kind of a lonely place. And you have to be comfortable being on your own and being able to kind of, you know, think through processes and think through things like that because often there isn't a lot of help. Um, and at that level, you're often that senior that your boss may, you may only see your boss once every two months or something and you don't see somebody that regularly. So management kind of stops often at that level. And so I found a lot, that, and I still find it a lot with leaders that I work with now, they use coaching and they use sessions to iron out issues that probably, you know, if they were lower in the organization, would you would expect our manager to be able to, to help them with and guide them with. But because they're senior, that guidance kind of stops. And so they still need to think things through and they still need that help. And just to, to understand that they're not alone, that they're not facing anything that other people haven't faced. We all face those kind of challenges at that level. So that I found is is probably the most fulfilling part about what we do in the coaching piece because people really feel that it helps. And, and I think, I don't think I would say there are too many people that we've worked with who haven't got huge value from it. Um, and, and despite the fact that sometimes they're pushed into it, they haven't volunteered for it, most people embrace it very quickly because they realize it adds a lot of value for them. Hmm. 
that's an interesting point you're making there being pushed into or not volunteer for it like if if from a business advisor point of view if a company came to you it, it, it just because of, of, of the coaching uh, podcast we're talking about would you advise like look get coaching in as part of your preventive preventative as opposed to you know don't wait until you, you're sitting on, on the top of a roof in tokyo to ponder all of this i i would definitely definitely advise it one thing that i found um, and I, I, I saw it in the translation industry, but I don't just work in the translation industry. I work across several industries now. But the, the one thing I did see is when you have an absence of strong management early in your career, you know, if you're thrown in at the deep end, sink or swim, what tends to happen is you, you develop a lot of behaviors that get you promoted, get you kind of active. And as I said, personality tends to raise in the organization where maybe competence doesn't always and so all of a sudden you find you've got further in your career than you probably should have got. And you may have got there with zero or little or no management. And, and that, what I mean by management, I mean active, hands-on management, somebody who cares about you and is trying to help you to become better, right? Um, and so a lot of industries I found management has gone out the window. And because it has, you then have people who are further along than they should be. They don't have necessarily the competence or the understanding to back it all up yet. And they are on their own. They're, they're very much alone. And so the kind of dropout rate from some of those industries is pretty frightening. You know, when you look at, you, you saw it in translation, lots of people spun out and still spin out of that industry because they're not managed properly. And so where I found that coaching is really helpful is if you don't know and you're not an organization that's hugely committed to active management, then the simplest thing to do would be to put some sort of coaching regime in place because it does help people to find their way. And, you know, that can be managed very, very well in an organization that doesn't have lots of professional managers. So I found it was kind of the lack of management that really kind of creates the need for something like the coaching. And I think in organizations where HR is maybe particularly strong, they fill that gap. In organizations that don't have a huge HR presence, Nobody fills that gap, and that's where I think people end up on their own. And that, that's quite common, I think, in a lot of the organizations, that not just the ones that we work with, but I've seen it in lots of organizations and clients that I worked with as well. Yeah. It's funny when you mentioned that. I remember all those years ago asking my manager at the time, I wanted to become a manager, and he told me, no, you're not ready. And that was the extent of, <laughs> of the conversation. And it took me a few more years. But hey, that was a different story. But that, that, that is interesting. And then, because one thing I'm looking at, and I know some companies are quite active, like larger companies are starting to introduce coaching as part of it, you know, um, and they do, I suppose they bring companies like yourself in to coach the coaches. Is that, is that something you guys do or? Yeah. Um, and so, so typically I think coaching comes into an organization usually in two ways. Um, one is often comes in through HR and HR will create a panel of coaches. Um, and, and what I found sort of in that model that's often a case where the company has decided it's a good thing for us to do for our people. Depending on the organization, some people really embrace it and then other people have to be sort of beaten into going and volunteering for it. And what I found, <laughs> what I found in most companies that are technical, so software development, any kind of engineering companies, the more technical the company, the more uncomfortable these engineers are going to a session like that. And one of the things that kind of uh, I think we bring as well is sometimes it's about choosing the right coach. And, you know, if the coach is chosen for you, 
it's a little bit hard for you to embrace it if you have if you have doubts, right? And so I found out, you know, when I was working during the, the program when I was when I was learning, um, sometimes you'd get paired off with somebody who was just fantastic and really, really good. And sometimes you'd get paired off with somebody and you just didn't feel they're compatible. And you'd think, if I was paying for this, would I do this? And you know, and so I think choosing the right coach is important. And so kind of the HR panel, I think, is a very common mechanism. Um, we get involved in that a little bit, um, but but not a huge amount. Um, what we tend to get involved in is where we maybe have reached out and we're working with maybe one of the senior leaders, maybe like the CEO of the company or the chief operating officer of the company or the CFO or the chief people officer. And they would ask us to come along and do a blend of, we might have been talking to them about a particular training requirement or something that maybe we're going to do. And, you know, we've often done things like sort of sales uh, training, account management training, uh, people management, all, all that sort of stuff. We also do like project management. And from there, we would bundle up a bunch of coaching with the training to make sure that the coach, that the training actually sticks. You know, it, it, what we found more and more, and I found this even when I was in SDL training all over the world, the hardest thing about training people and just using that as a vehicle is that people go back to their day job and they forget things really quickly. And so what you almost need is a relentless, the iron passing over the shirt constantly to take the creases out, right? And so for me, what I found really effective was if we bundle training with subsequent coaching, that works really well. And that's often the way we would end up in an organization sort of initially developing or delivering a training program for people. But from there, coaching the people who were on it and then kind of creating our own sort of, you know, I guess, panel of coaches at that point from from, from that point on. Um, I think if you end up with the wrong coach, like I go back to the first sort of version, um, I think it's if, if you're going to have a panel, I think you have to have a very diverse panel. And I think the one thing I noticed in Ireland, back to your original question, compared to other places, there was a particular flavor or is a particular flavor of coaching, I think, that's quite prevalent, which is it's very it's it's often more HR driven. Um, it's often more um, probably a lot more females than males, but that's you know that's I'm sure you've seen in your program that's that's typically the makeup of most coaching programs. Um, I have seen more and more panels coming going. We need some male coaches because we feel some of our engineers would might might value that diversity. So I think it's moving in the right direction. But I think you know to your earlier point, I think it's a lot slower than. US or, or the UK and, and a lot of our customers would be in the US and the UK as well. We tend only to do a limited amount of stuff in Ireland. Okay, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> in terms of um, your own organization, you know, going back up to the, the bar in Tokyo, you know, you're up the top of the chain again. Are you taking, are you doing coaching? Are you getting coached or, or is it something that you yeah, I, I do. Um, I work with a guy actually based in Dublin. I, I, I don't use him all the time, but I do kind of go to him um, often. Um, a, a really good guy. And again, I went through sort of a few people trying to figure out someone that could actually add value, you know, and, and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, somebody who could challenge me because what I found in coaching was I needed more to be challenged than to be understood, you know. And so when I've worked with uh, this guy, he's he's really, really good. I've worked with him a couple of times on, on several different occasions. And I usually tend to go, it's been ages, haven't spoken to him in a while. I'll go to in a set of sessions and then work with him that way. Um, and then obviously, as you you know, you know from going through the coaching qualification, you tend to go through a lot of coaching at that stage yourself as well. So, um, but yeah, I, I do. And, and I do still, um, when I'm kind of coaching now, 
I do still kind of think about it in the context of if I was now supervising this, for example, how would I make sure that this is following the right guidelines and whatever. So I do kind of tend to check in a lot with the, the, the ideas and the principles behind it. And then, like I said, I do have my own coach whenever I, whenever I want to have the time and need the space to use. Great. Tell me something. What do you think, uh, like at the moment with this pandemic, it's just, uh, I mean, it's thrown everything upside down. Uh, do you reckon um, services like yourself, you know, that mentoring, coaching, and really engaging with employees, I, I, I'd say it's, it, it's going to increase, right? If companies are going to come look for the likes of you to, to figure out what to do next. Well, I think, I think what I found is um, actually during the, during the pandemic, and I, I, I speak of it carefully because it's not over, but I think during the worst of it, the last few weeks and couple of months, um, our coaching was pretty busy. Um, and it was, you know, that was the thing that people really needed. Just, it was kind of like something that held them, it gave them a link to reality. It helped them kind of having to struggle with working from home and how to deal with the, the issues with that. Um, we definitely have not seen a, a drop off in, in that piece. If anything, we've probably seen an increase in, in that area. Um, and and I, think, I think it will continue because I don't think people will rush back to work either. I think, you know, a lot of companies out there are polling their people right now. And quite a lot of people are saying they'd prefer to work from home going forward. They're still very nervous. So I think it'll be with us for a while. And I think work will be different for a while. And actually, you know, I do think coaching is something that helps a lot of people during that and helps them to to process it just in, in their own minds and be able to deal with it. Obviously, a lot of people are dealing with the frustrations of being at home, having the kids or all of that sort of stuff. And so it's it's difficult. But Hopefully, I think people will still feel comfortable to reach out for that. Um, and, and our experience during it so far has still been very positive. So people are, are asking for it, people are looking for it, and, and I think people are really valuing it as well. Very good. Well, just thinking back, when you, you mentioned, we, when we discussed the, the other day, we had a quick chat on the phone, you mentioned Tom Grogan, that used to be our boss mm. at the time. And um, and I was just thinking back, because we, we spent, actually, you, you coined the phrase, uh, I remember once, this is early days, you know, we were running the company, but it was the only company run by PowerPoint, I still remember. <laughs> we spent hours and hours in these boardrooms, each of us doing the little PowerPoint thing. But uh, thinking back, and now that you mentioned the loudest person tends to get the job or whatever, you were always the quiet one in the corner. You were always observing a lot more than the rest of us. And uh, yeah. And actually, look, that was years ago. And now, you know, now knowing what I know and talking to you now, is there is definitely um, a personality that goes with a coaching, mentoring type of yeah. person. Have you found that? Like, obviously, I like you develop all the training for us at the time, and and so on and so forth. You, you've gone to have a successful company doing that, but other people that you employed, you worked with, do you find that that's, that's a certain trait? for for to become a coach and a mentor i think there's a i think the key thing is that you have to be able to uh, you have to be able to generate like a trusting relationship i think the trust is super important i think you have to be credible and you have to add value so it's kind of like trust credibility value and they're, they're kind of like sort of guiding principles i tend i think i even have a piece on, on our website that talks about that concept but for me um you know, if I look at when I would work with a coach or if I was in a coaching session and, and someone was coaching me and I wasn't getting something from it, I, what I was checking in with was I'm not trusting them 
I don't think they're credible or they're not adding any value. And, and that was kind of like, for me, a, a kind of a, a processing thing that I went through. And so I think you have to be able to do that if you're going to be a successful coach, and especially in the business side of coaching, in the kind of executive yeah. side. You know, a lot of people that you work with are super busy, super high-flying executives. They kind of want to work with somebody who understands it, not you know, somebody who's maybe from a different sort of world. And so I, I think that trust and credibility and being able to add some value without leading, without leading the person and driving the session, you don't want, you obviously don't want to do that. But I think if you can balance that, that's often kind of what people, you know, really value. And actually kind of going back to what you said, and you're right, I would tend to be a, in, in a room full of people I, I can dominate, but I usually don't. Um, what I usually choose to do is kind of look and observe and see what's happening and understand it. And, I, and I, I'm very rational, so I process a lot of stuff. When I was doing my coaching diploma, I remember the, the lady who ran the program kept telling me, you, you spend far too much time in your head. Um, and so, but I was, always was quite rational. And for me, that was kind of, I think if you, if you do observe, you do tend to sort of be able to process a lot differently. Often when people are more passionate and they're more driven and they're out and they're louder, they have a particular view or a particular agenda that they're trying to sell. And if you're trying to sell something, it's very hard to listen to somebody else. You know? And so I always found there's a time when you do need to sell, but you don't need to be in sales mode all the time. And I think a lot of it, it's about just listening and understanding. And obviously, as you know, there are key values in any coach as well. Yeah. Um, but one, one last thing on it, just when I got involved, I think I said, yeah, I got involved in sort of disc profiling and, and personality profiling. The reason I took an interest in that was what I found was it's not just people with personality that rise. It's people with a particular personality type that rise. And so one of the things we promote very strongly in companies when we work with them, you know, HR people will always talk about diversity, diversity of ethnic um, origin, diversity of gender, all of that sort of really important stuff. We talk about diversity of personality type. Because what I found more and more is in, in, in often in companies, people with one personality type, it's called a high eye personality type. They're the loudest, the most communicative, the most social, the most active, the most charming, the most kind of engaging. They rise, but other people don't. And, and that's where often companies become more like personality cults than actual sensible businesses. And so we push the concept of, diversity quite a lot and so one of the reasons we spend a lot of time in that personality space is it's it's easier i find to coach somebody when you understand their profile their personality type when they understand yours and they understand that there's a compatibility there and also even just as a coaching to be a coaching type of manager it's a super useful thing to be able to understand who you are how you behave why you behave that way because it gives you a basis to be able to move forward and improve as well and so those are kind of the things that we, we think about um, in terms of what makes a good coach kind of coachy relationship. But it really comes down to what I said. It's trust, adding some, being credible and adding value. Just a quick question on that, this profiling, which I, I, I'm not familiar with. But when you're profiling somebody, so if you go into an organization and there's a team there that needs to be sorted out because whatever, the company's going in a certain direction. And you yeah. have all these different personalities and you'd see an imbalance there based on your profile. Yep. Yep. Is this something that you can say, okay, look, we have 20 people here. You have too many of this type. You have to, 
how do you, do you coach that into? How does so, that so so there's two things you can do there. Um, so I'll give you an example. I was in an organization one one time. Um, I worked in a, a company which was when I started looking at this first, the predominance of people were one personality type, and part of it was because translators tend to have a particular personality type. So they're drawn to translation because they have this particular personality type. And so a lot of companies end up with a very heavy bias towards one profile. And often it's the reflection of the profile of the CEO. You know, so if you think about when you hire somebody or if somebody's hiring, you usually hire a mini version of yourself. That's usually what happens, right? All other things being equal. Because you'll spot something in the other person that you like. And, you know, everyone loves themselves to a degree. <laughs> so you see somebody, you go, this person reminds me of me. Boom, you hire. Instantly what you've done is you've replicated your own personality type in the organization. And so I worked in an organization where that had been going on for a long, long, long time. And so the company was biased completely in one personality type. The downside of that is if you have all these people in the organization who are kind of wired the same way, they end up in a groupthink scenario. They end up seeing the world exactly the same way, which is kind of dangerous because that is a personality cult. No matter what you call it, it is a personality cult, right? And, and so for, for me, it was kind of the only two things you can do is one, you can coach people and manage people slightly away from the extremities of their personality type. So if I'm a particular type, I don't have to be a super version of that. I can be a much milder version of that and track towards the center. And so a lot of our coaching would be helping people to work on their extremities and just take them off the ledge, right? You might be an I, but you don't have to be a capital I. You can be a, a small I and be very effective. Um, and the other thing you do is when you're recruiting, you then fold in that diversity agenda into the recruiting. So we would then look at other roles in the company and say, okay, you don't need this personality type to do this role. You, you could do this very effectively if you were something else. And so we would job match through the personality profiling tool to be able to figure out we don't want too many of this, we want this. So if we end up with three candidates and one of them is pretty good and they are like the personality we want, job done. And so you eventually you kind of reseed the organization over time by just making sure you have a, a diversity agenda. But it's a very different diversity to the one that uh, HR professionals would get concerned about. In a way, it's, uh, it's also a lot more democratic because you really just look at the personality regardless of creed and uh, race and, and everything else. Exactly. You're just looking at a personality from a very scientific, I'm assuming it's a fairly scientific uh, profiling that you do with, through the DISC. It is the guy, the, the, the tool that we use. Actually, this profiling was invented by a guy called William Marsden, who is the guy who invented the polygraph machine. Oh. Um, and he's also the creator of Wonder Woman. Um, so Wonder Woman as a character had this rope that you would tie around people, a lasso, and it would make these criminals tell her the truth straight away. So this guy was very sort of a leading mind in that whole area of how people respond and, and measuring the responses in your body and, and so the lie detector was all about measuring physical response this disc profiling is all about measuring sort of emotional or behavioral response so it kind of gives you like a, a set of questions that you have to answer that describe best describe you or least describe you and as you work through the questions it's calculating and plotting a profile and so 
I, I found it to be, I've worked with it now for 20 years. Um, I, I found it to be deadly accurate. I came across it in SDL, although in SDL, when I came across it, it was used very badly. Um, but it, it, they used it in SDL. And I think I, I also brought it into when I worked on We Localize and we use it in Extensos and we use it with all our customers now. Brilliant. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, before I let you go, so any, any new plans for Extensos or you're happy to, to go along with what you've created so far? Any new, anything new? I think, I think two things we're looking at right now. So I think a lot of our training, um, we've been kind of, we tended to do a lot of classroom-based training, partly because it's easier to connect with people that way. But clearly in the kind of current climate, that's not going to be you know, practical. So I think one of our things is we're moving all of our training to kind of more online type of delivery mechanism. I think a lot of people are doing that. So that's, it's kind of exciting for us. Um, our coaching is already done sort of virtually via Zoom, via whatever. So it's already been like that for, for a long, long time. We started it that way. Um, the other thing we're looking at right now is we have a whole portfolio of training that, that actually is really useful, whether you're in the translation industry or not. Really kind of, it's just based on, again, on experiences and things that we saw and things of working with the biggest brands in the world. So right now we're looking at thinking about um, certifying some of those trainings so that actually if you were to take that training, you can gain certifications towards your own sort of um, whether you're working towards a pinbox or you're working towards some other professional qualification. So we're, we're looking at that right now. Um, and then I think from a coaching perspective, um, we're working on potentially putting together a program which is all about sort of helping people to become coaches. And maybe with the potential to get that um, certified and roll that out as an offering as well. So I think a couple of interesting things in that sort of coaching, um, mentoring space. And then clearly we've, you know, we've got our other parts to our business work that keep us busy as well, our outsourcing and all of our multilingual stuff. So we're definitely kept busy, at least for now. Touch wood. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That was Paul McManus of Extensus. Thanks a million for your time, Paul. Really, really appreciate it. It was fantastic to see you again. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Kind of on the